Articles of Faith is a weekly interview show featuring scholars and writers who have written about the doctrines and teachings of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Articles of Faith is a production of Fair Mormon and is hosted by Nick Galetti. Carolina Allen is a Brazilian native and U.S. immigrant. She is a second-generation member of the church. She was also a philosophy major at the University of Utah. She's now happily married to Dr. Kavika Allen, a, f- a professor of counseling psychology at BYU. And she has a bio on the UN that's attached to the UN that states that she speaks English, Spanish, and Portuguese. And so for some reason, it's included that she has an interracial family with five kids. Is that still uh-huh. accurate? Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, she loves community and family, homeschooling, sports, outdoors, and uh, she's a soccer player and avid Brazil fan. And then her bio concludes with stating that she's an activist and grassroots founder. She's here today to talk about her organization and and the work that she's going to do um, that's called Big Ocean Women. Mm -hmm. So welcome. Thank you for coming on and talking with us. Thank you. As far as getting to know you a little bit first so that we can kind of get a perspective on on your, your project and your group, um, what about your background? What about your family situation is it helps contribute to the work that you're doing? Yeah, that's, yeah, that's a great question. Um, well, I, I guess I didn't grow up privileged at all, you know, in any sense of the word. Um, our family really struggled. We came to the United States with, um, my dad always jokes, four kids, six suitcases, and $800 in his pocket. <laughs> And and we made a way for ourselves. And um, when my, was this? It was back in '86. Okay. So um, my parents didn't speak a lick of English. I was just kind of thrown into the public school as a kindergartner, and just ha- we just kind of had to make our way. I remember translating for my parents at a very young age, and um, just financial hardships and just a lot of struggle. Uh, my dad, uh, you know, had a degree in architecture in Brazil, but of course that doesn't pan out here in the States. So he had to start everything from scratch. And, you know, it was not easy. But uh, I, all of us kids, I'm a, the oldest of six, we all, you know, attribute all of our success and everything in life to our parents. And, and they attribute everything to the Lord and to the gospel. And they're, um, like you mentioned, uh, you know, converts to the church. And um, it really has shaped our background as a family and something that we're very, very... Um, it's just kept us together through yeah. hard times. Is that why they came here to the States was because yeah, of the church? Okay. Absolutely, yeah. They were just, um, in fact, my parents' dream was to eventually live in Missouri, you know, and, you know, Jackson <laughs> County. And finally, last year, my dad, you know, retired from working in the church, and, and they, that's where they live. <laughs> so, wow. Dream come true for them. Wow, that's exciting. Yeah. Well, maybe not about the Missouri part. <laughs> you never know. So what brought you to uh, philosophy then? As, especially as a, you got your degree in it, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, um, yeah, it, it's really the gospel. I mean, I remember just staying up late at night. My dad never said, you know, gave me a curfew, you need to be in bed. As long as we were t- talking gospel doctrine, he would let me stay up as li- late <laughs> as I ever wanted. And so I just fell in love with asking questions and philosophizing and, you know, just digging deep. And it just has been a part of who I am. Well, I imagine that exposed you to a lot of different ideas and and thought processes. So when you decided one day that you were going to start this big ocean 
Women Project. Mm-hmm. I think on the, on one of the YouTube articles or uh, YouTube videos that I found, you talked about this effort not just being kind of like a social project, but something that was a whole new philosophy. Yes. So before we get into that, though, we probably ought to back up and introduce what Big Ocean Women is, mm-hmm. and then the rest of that question will actually make sense. Sure. So what's Big Ocean Women? Well, it it actually spawned from an experience I had, and and then prior to that, just a ton of questions that I'd been, that had been I've been mulling over in my mind for years and years and years. Um, uh, as a you know a student in philosophy, um, you know I got pregnant with my first baby, and you know all my teachers were like, "You are you're going to grad school, right?" And I said, "I just didn't it didn't feel right to me." Mm. And, um, and they're, you know, they just really kind of gave me a hard time about it, but I just wanted to stay home. I just felt really, um, impressed to do that. And, um, I always felt as if, um, um, my mission on earth somehow involved philosophy and involved motherhood and the philosophy of motherhood and empowerment. And it was all wrapped in there and it was all kind of floating around in my brain and in my heart, you know, for years and years. But the experience I was wanting to mention that ties back to Big Ocean really happened when uh, my sister-in-law passed away. Her name's Moana, and Moana actually means ocean across the board in Polynesian languages, which is pretty cool. Um, But she passed away of cancer um, back in 2012, and my husband and I just, you know, hopped on a flight and and went there, and this whole time I'd been just mulling over this whole need of, I need to share my voice, but how? You know, I don't have a philosophical home. I don't belong anywhere. And I was just a lot of angst and kind of frustration surrounding that. And then I show up um, to the islands, to Oahu, and uh, um, attended her funeral, which was just this, um, it was the biggest funeral I've ever been to, ever. People-wise. People-wise, people wise. yeah, just I, the whole city of Laia seemed to be at her funeral. Mm. And, um, and you know, when people come up to you and, and let you know about that family member, how they touched, you know, their life in some way, well, people were coming up to my husband and I and saying, um, yeah, one time she gave me her car so that we could pay for our rent. It was, it was like these, wow. a, like, phenomenally, like, huge you know, acts of kindness that she had performed. This one guy came up to us and said, she talked me out of suicide. Like, I would be dead if it weren't for her. Another, like, couple of people, a couple of young men came back and said that she helped me not only fill out, you know, paperwork for my mission, but she, like, paid, you know, for me to get a suit. And all of these things were just, people were coming out of the woodworks telling us, you know, Moana did this for me, Moana did that for me. And, you know, we had no idea... Anyway, she was very loved by this community. Apparently. Um, she was never married and didn't have any children, but it was like her aloha spirit and her compassion for others and her just selflessness that just bound this whole community. Um, but the neatest thing that happened was um, as the pallbearers were getting ready to take the casket out, um, there was a big group of about seven to eight massive men um, that looked kind of, you know, really rough. And there was some, you know, talk that they were from Waianae, which is the real um, hard, you know, ghetto part of, you know, uh, Oahu. And anyway, they just kind of um, kindly asked if they could perform a haka dance before. And so, you know, the family was just there and watching the whole, you know, um, all of those in attendance were watching. And um, they walked out to the courtyard and they proceeded to um, do the most um, 
gut-wrenching, powerful haka dance. I don't know if you've ever seen, you Mm -hmm. know, the Maori war dance. But they were just bawling. They were crying, you know, at the loss of Moana. And I had never seen anything like that in my whole life. And it it made me think. um, It just hit home. I'm like, how does somebody create change like that? You know, um, later we found out that she was their seminary teacher. She would drive to the other side of the island for years and years and had mm. helped these young, these youth, you know, um, and as a choir director too. And and they their lives were changed because of her commitment to the Lord. And it was very powerful. So um, that experience really shaped uh, another experience that has just been etched in my mind, and that's the catalyst for Big Ocean. So... Um, after the funeral, um, I'm just thinking about what is change? What is power? What does it mean to be a powerful female? All of these ideas were just kind of boiling inside of me. And sure. um, as a family, you know, um, I was just in the grieving process. I would just kind of slip away and find myself just right at the ocean side. And um, I just, at one point, I was just so, like, like I mentioned before, philosophically homeless and just what what is my purpose in all of this and where do i belong and um and so i just walked out and i i really do remember asking loud um heavenly father what does this all mean and right then and there i just felt this urge to just be quiet and be still and just allow myself to listen and to hear and and i just kind of started walking along um the shoreline and um, got up on these big boulders, and they were really rough and barnacle encrusted on the top. And I stood on top of them, and I looked out, and I just saw this expansive, vast ocean, and it was breathtaking. It was it was just incredible, and I I just got very very quiet and still in my soul, and um, I realized that oftentimes in my mind I think that power comes from a big you know I started thinking about feminism you know, the waves of feminism and everything. And I thought, you know, power, it's something big and grand and it changes. But then I, I looked down at my feet where the these small little tiny waves were kind of washing up on this rock probably for thousands of years. And I thought, wait a second, that's change. You know, the, the parts of the rock that were in touch with the wave were, were polished. They weren't barnacle encrusted. They were smooth and beautiful. Um, and I thought... A lot of times I feel like this tiny little wave, like, is what I'm doing really, really contributing to society in a meaningful way? And what I got away from that experience is that, yes, an emphatic yes, it is. And that sometimes these big, giant tsunamis aren't quite as uh, life-affirming as we think they are. In fact, they're catastrophic. Sure. Um, and and there was something about... Um, these small, subtle waves that were life-affirming. And it all made sense to me in my head. And I said, I found my philosophical home. It's, it's a big ocean. And I'm not just an insignificant wave. I belong. I need to quit identifying as a tiny individual that I need to start, you know, raising my conscience so that I, I'm collaborating with a massive, vast, you know, powerful body of women. And that's what I, it just kind of all made sense. And so this whole movement and what Big Ocean is, it's a mother's movement. It's a movement based on um, the feminine as an archetype, um, not as a stereotype. And there's a difference, but it, it well, all... Explain that. What's the difference? Well, stereotypes change and, and change is good in society. I think it allows us to evolve and grow and 
um, it's good. Uh, however, there are basic fundamental eternal principles that are archetypes, and those things must remain. Um, and so for me, the archetype of feminine is water. You know, it's okay. it, it just all, it makes sense to me in my spirit and in my soul, and that's how I make sense of it. And to me, the male and masculine is, is a rock. It's, it's land. It's, it's a mountain. Um, and those things are essentially different and complementary. And so as I was standing there on rock, out look, you know, looking out at the ocean, at the water, it all made sense to me in just this very powerful way. And so as I started kind of piecing together what does this philosophical home look like, that, that has just, I can't get away from that experience because it makes sense to me. And it's, it's been how I've, it's been my foundation in building this, this philosophical home. So do you feel that you've it's set, it's established, or is it still it's, kind of growing? It's still growing. Okay. Yeah, it's definitely still growing. Um, and um, we have um, a really excited group of women. Um, there are 30 of us going to the um, Commission on the Status of Women at the United Nations um, here in a few weeks. And um, we have a, a closed group of about 130 um, that are um, contributing and helping and just really excited saying, this is what I've always felt is true. And I'm so glad that we have like a political voice and that my um, my motherhood um, and my feminine nature is being given a voice. Um, because uh, as I started hashing all this out when I got home after this experience, I, I'm like, okay, so what do I do now? And I started getting in touch with all of these um, non-government uh, organizations, one of which was United Families International, which I've developed a great friendship with and amazing people working there. They invited me to go to the CSW um, last year with them, and so I went. And when I got there, uh, it just dawned on me. I'm like, I am not being represented here at all. Right. There was no there, there was no mothers, right? There, there were no mothers. There weren't. And they were discussing issues that had direct, effect on me and my family and my children. Well, how, how so? Because I've mm -hmm. never been to a, a council for the status of women sure. or on women. And and so I'm kind of clueless why, first of all, what, what is it for? I mean, it may sound a little obvious, but what, what does this organization have to do with women? It, well, so it's a branch of the United Nations of the ECOSOC, so uh, on economy and society. And uh, it's just related to women's issues. Um, and so what happens there, um, there are a lot of negotiations between UN member states that happen, and they, um, they uh, negotiate certain documents, and the language provisions within those documents are absolutely critical because um, nations turn to them kind of like um, uh, these words take precedent, just kind of like... Um, International customary law, really. So is they what set it is. a standard. They set a standard, yeah. So people start repeating that same language and it starts kind of getting duplicated elsewhere in different local policies and different things like that. So they really do affect nations. And so um, uh, things there that I heard um, number one, motherhood is just totally, that word itself is like it's taboo. Boo. Yes, absolutely. Um, it's slowly been. It used to be maternal fetal health or maternal health care. And over the years, um, the word maternal has been taken out and replaced mm. with reproductive health care. And a lot of people would say, well, what's the big deal in that? Well, 
within the halls of the UN, reproductive health care is synonymous to abortion. So um, okay. those kind of things. So you're taking away um, big government, uh, these big, what I call Goliath NGOs, are essentially um, putting forth just large, large amounts of money and attention to abortion as opposed to maternal health care. And so women, you know, um, aren't being represented as mothers around the world. You've got women dying of fistulas, of, you know, and just terrible situations. And we're not giving um, the proper attention to those needs. Uh, that we should be. Now, is that because there just hasn't been a voice from mothers in the past, and so that's why you're here, is that you feel that 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 will just change naturally because now there's a presence, there's a voice? I think so. I really believe so. I think, and this, I don't know if it diverts a little bit from where we're going, but I I need to spotlight a woman named Christina Hoff Summers, who has been a big, I feel like she has discovered the lost city of Atlantis. Because, okay. because um, when, when, every, when you say the word feminism to anybody, you just automatically go to egalitarian feminism. It's, which is, it's a pretty loaded term. It is a loaded term. But what we don't understand is that historically there has been a maternal feminism. Women that um, completely... Uh, propelled the suffragist movement, the temperance movement, the pacifist movement, the abolitioners, you know. they One of the biggest driving forces were the maternal feminists, and that is women who um, cultivated their feminine side um, and expanded their, um, their home and family. Um, so it's more of a, I guess, not as much um, driven by egalitarian undercurrents, but more... Um, um, motherhood, the empowerment of motherhood. And so they really changed things and they, they created a significant societal change. And so, but, you know, these women like um, Hannah Moore and Frances Willard, if you were to look them up, they would not be um, given that kind of revolutionary status. They would rather, if you were to look them up, it would say, you know, um, Hannah Moore was a writer, or, you know, a poet. Um, they don't give these women the kind of credit that they deserve for creating, you know, these revolutionary changes in society. Um, So I believe I'm a maternal feminist, you know, in this day and age. I just feel as if it's it's something that has really been lost. Um, And uh, I think that it comes naturally to women to expand their um, kind of internal power and and just kind of create changes like these small little waves, right? Sure. but uh, when you say the word feminism, it's typically, you know, it's, it's always something counter to the patriarchy. It's always measured against the male, you know, uh, equal rights and equal. Of course, there's oppression in the world, but there are also other ways of achieving, uh, of solving those problems. And that's kind of where this paradigm is coming from. It's this alternative way. Yeah. And you have a blog that's associated with uh, this website and this movement where you're Sharing different thoughts and ideas that kind of help, I, I guess, fill out or give more substance to this philosophy that you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. So let's say you've got a, a, an average uh, person that wants to come to know your organization better, uh, maybe even participate because they feel some kind of uh, camaraderie with your mission and things like that. Mm-hmm. Where do they go and how do they join up? 
Well, we're, we're uh, Big Ocean Women, so you can look us up. It's BigOceanWomen.com, and we've got um, a website, and um, we have three main purposes, and the first is to um, inspire women to um, expand kind of that empowerment um, of, of faith and family. So that's very, very important. We um, Our tenets are really based on faith because a lot of women around the world internationally are women of faith. So it's important that we um, start building and uniting all of these small little waves just as the big ocean um, and women of faith are very powerful women. Um, the second thing that we talk about, um, one of our missions, is um, uh, humanitarian service. Okay. So reaching out to these um, women and families and specifically children who are in um, dire situations. And there's a lot that we can do. For example, um, uh, just easy things, you know. This movement isn't about, you know, raising your fist up and just kind of riding in the streets. It's about expanding what we already do at home and just having an international platform to do it. So, for example, um, uh, you know, women have baby showers all the time. Sure. So one of our campaigns is to have an ocean um, baby shower, a big ocean baby shower. So what that means is that um, a lot of times you invite women to your home and they just shower you with gifts and a lot of it is great and fine. But on the other side of the world in the Congo, there are women that do not even have, do you know how much it costs to save a woman in, in child labor? I have no idea. $100. Okay. A lot of times these families do not have either $100 or because she's a woman, she's not that important. So um, there are stories I've been reading and researching of women that um, have an obstructed labor somehow, can't deliver the baby, uh, just really just on the brink of death. Husband will bring her to the hospital, doesn't have the money to pay, the, the hospital can't treat her, turns her away and she dies. Or, um, or uh, it's just not worthwhile for the husband to actually pay to save his own wife. It's a $100 surgery. We can afford that here in the States. So one of our campaigns is to um, have this kind of a shower where you're actually um, uh, supporting a woman, you know, um, through an organization that we're partnered with. Sure. And people can donate money. And so you can have a safe birth, and she can too. And it's these very, very simple solutions that really um, bridge this big ocean gap. So um, we are very privileged being women in the church, number one, and women um, in the United States. And when we start seeing each other um, as sisters, kind of just bridging that gap, um, it can change things. Yeah. So, so you, you're doing this thing with the UN, yeah, which is pretty incredible. And I imagine that it's, it's possibly, is it too late for people to kind of go with you or be a voice with that? Is it kind of closed at this point? Um, it is closed at this point okay. um, because we have partnered with four different organizations who have supplied us with UN badges. And so that, uh, you know, uh, registration is right, closed. It's not a conference where people just pay a ticket you, and yeah, get in. Except there is the parallel event. So there are, in, there are side events that are held inside the UN and then there are par parallel events held outside the UN. Those um, for every single year past, except for this one, have been open to the public. This year, you do have to registrate, uh, register, but we can still, I think, register people. So I guess if there were some uh, very, very uh, 
women that felt very moved and inspired to join us. It's kind of a, a big deal to come because I'm uh, coordinating the hotel and everything oh, like sure. that. But if if you just had a burning desire, then I would just you know reach out to me and we can chat or something like like that. You wouldn't be able to attend the inside events, but the parallel events, you know, we can. We've between the thirty uh, in the delegation, we have about six committees. So there are women in teams already, and we are going to be doing a lot of work while mm. we're there. So I would have to fit you in somehow. And sure, but if you had a burning desire, I guess just contact me. Okay, so give some kind of reference point, if you will, again, so that people understand what it means to have thirty, essentially delegates going. Mm -hmm. What does that mean in the voice of of how many people? How many how many people really get into this event and have a voice? So how how does thirty ratio out, I guess. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good question. So when people say, what are you going to be doing there at the UN? Um, we are going to um, be just be a presence, just in conversations with people. Um, we're not there to uh, combat anybody. Um, we understand, you know, egalitarian feminism, and they're trying to solve world problems in their own way. We're just wanting to s share a different voice. Um, and and help in the way that we feel comfortable. So our women, um, we're actually going to be interviewing um, women from all over the world and sharing our message and also um, networking with women that share the same values um, and showcasing. We're going to be, uh, we have a media team out there. We have a story team um, with um, some talented, talented women um, and we're going to be sharing these uh, other women, uh, their voices, and showcasing them on our website. So it's going to be kind of a, a really amazing experience okay. as we make this grow. Is is thirty people a lot? It it is percentage wise. Like, are there other people that have thirty? Yeah. Well, so typically, I mean, I went with uh, United Families last year. They have a BYU Idaho group that come um, one of the two weeks during the conference. Um, and they had the BYUI team was a really big team, and they had possibly ten people. So, so thirty is thirty is a like large a number. Big deal. Like a that's not going to be something that these people will miss. No, it is a big deal. It is a big deal. And the the interesting thing is that the BYU Idaho team is coming, and we're connecting with um, another huge group of women um, that are collaborating, doing similar things. So, there are pieces of this pro family movement that are just coming out of the woodwork. Um, and it's a very critical year because it's discussing the Beijing Plus Five um, document. And so... I have no idea what that is. That is... Um, well, it's <laughs> essentially every... It's it's one of these big critical documents that kind of is revisited every five years. And it's a big one. It's a big okay. one. It's a very... There is a lot of passion on both sides, just to say that. But what are the sides? What the sides, the well, issue? the pro-family side is, you know... Pro-life, right? Sure. Um, it's it's holding on to language that defines, you know, marriage between one man and one one woman. It is uh, language holding on to the sanctity of life. It is language um, holding on to motherhood. Um, all of those things are kind of under the pro-family camp. And then there's the feminist camp, I guess, of pro-choice and reproductive health care. Oh, I didn't even mention one of the biggest things that okay. when I went out there that really kind of um, sparked, lit a fire in me that I was like, like, oh, I, I 
cannot not do this. It was the comprehensive sexuality education that is being promoted there. And essentially what it is, it's not your run-of-the-mill sex ed. You know, when people talk about, oh, sex ed, sex ed is good. It's fine. We had it, you know, in our high school and no big deal. This is an entirely different beast. Okay. And so it's important that people... You know, when you're looking at documents, you need to look out for specific language. And the comprehensive sexuality education is a totally different beast. Um, at its at its roots, um, it is propelled by organizations that have a very different ideology um, where um, the new cutting edge, I guess, is um, child sexual rights. And to yes. me— and to me, the word child and sexual should never even be in the same sentence together. It doesn't make sense. And child sexuality education is just teaching children at a very, very young age um, that they are sexual creatures. That, Like the uh, International Parenthood Federation and CECUS uh, are two of the, uh, the big Goliath NGOs that are kind of the ones behind this whole curriculum. So if you really wanted to take a in-depth look at it, you could even go to their website gotcha. and look at these things. But essentially, um, by the age of five, you're, you know, t- children are, are being taught all about masturbation, that it's good, and it's part of, um, you know, your sexual health, and that pornography is a part of your sexual health. It's all part of being, you know, what it means to be human and, and sexually alive. And um, International Plant Parenthood was passing around pamphlets. Um, it was a whole campaign um geared at, um, it's like, uh, healthy, uh, happy and hot. And I, I don't think I'm getting that correctly, but I could give you links and people can check it all out. But it's just talking about, you know, you have the right to, um, just fulfill your sexual fantasies in any way they're People ought not get in the way of that. And if you, you know, are a youth with HIV AIDS, you have a right to confidentiality. And so they're, they're promoting a very, what I believe it's a death sentence, especially to AIDS-torn, you know, countries. Right. So anyway, these things are very disturbing to me. And as a mother, I don't want people forcing certain ideologies upon my children that I don't feel good about. And these things are really being pushed forward. And, and, um, and I think that um, it's important for all sorts, you know, parents to really be aware of what this actually is. And so I just encourage people to go and take a look. Look for yourself. And yeah. So, so yeah. after this UN thing is done, I'm sure you've got other plans of things that people can be involved in. Mm-hmm. And that uh, we can certainly talk about those more because I'm, I'm hoping that we will have a second interview with you after you get back yeah. from the UN to see how Absolutely. things went. See which, what was brought up, what successes you found, mm-hmm. uh, maybe even some of the things that we're still setbacks that we, sure. we still need to fight and work on Yeah, kind of thing. So you do have a Facebook presence? Yeah. Yeah. We have a Facebook group, um, a Facebook page, Big Ocean Women. Um, just reach out to us if you, if anybody has any desire to be a part of this. It's, it is grassroots. We are just all volunteers. All of these women are forking over money from their, you know, fa- you know, we're not, none of, none of us are rich and, you know, can just... Um, we just feel very strongly, and so we're sacrificing a lot to be out there. There are a lot of uh, these Goliath NGOs that actually pay women to go out there mm. and wear their T-shirts, and, and you know, they're kind of like the fans. Um, and here we are, you know, we feel very passionate about this. And so we do have a GoFundMe link. Um, there are a few of us that are single mothers um, 
and that, you know, it's, it's a big sacrifice. And so any kind of help in that regard would be so appreciated. But yeah, we, we believe that this is a very needed voice in the world and that we have something extremely valuable to share to the world. And, um, and the women internationally are feeling the need too. So we have recently reached out to, in Spanish, it's, um, it's uh, Profesionales de Ética, or it's just the uh, Professionals for Ethics. And they have uh, created an amazing, amazing um, uh, women's declaration, an international declaration. And we just are collaborating together. So women around the world are, are saying, hey, we have a voice as mothers and as women nurturers and as women that represent the feminine. Like, we need to be involved in this dialogue somehow. And so we're, there's a lot of that feeling how does this, aside from some of the social things that you've talked about and even some of the moral uh, issues, but how, how exactly do you tie this into your faith? Well, that's a, yeah, I love that question. I think that as a member of the Relief Society and even before that, being nurtured in the young women values, which actually are our tenants, but just dressed in UN attire, so to speak, it has, I believe that you can't possibly talk about sustainable change unless it's coming from within. And so being cultivated within the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints has given me this incredible internal strength and power that is just, it's a natural outcome to expand that. And so um, I believe that the world is eager to learn these truths. And truth is truth, you know. This isn't necessarily, you know, a big uh, missionary effort to go and baptize people, but truth is truth. And when people hear it, they respond well to it. Just a quick experience. Last year when I was there, United Families International had a parallel event that they were putting on. Uh, Professor Tim Rarick from BYU-Idaho presented there on the importance of fathers in the lives of uh, daughters. It was a room packed with women from all over Africa and India and Nepal. I mean, there are just women from all over. He gave, you know, just this really heartwarming presentation. And the way that these women reacted, it was as if he was the biggest Hollywood movie star. <laughs> they rushed him after the, wow. after he spoke. And these are all kind of gospel truths, you know, stuff you learn, you know, guys learn it, you know, priesthood, you know, nothing too, you know, extraordinary for us. But for these women, they just rushed at him and said, you have got to come to my country. You have got to share this message. And that, that totally struck me in saying, you know, what we have as members of the Relief Society is invaluable to the women of the world. And we've been cultivated in this really powerful way, and we need to share it. And it's time. It is time. And so it has everything to do with the Relief Society, I feel like, and, and the young women values and all of these things that we've been taught. Yeah. So Very cool. Well, I'm excited for you guys. That sounds like almost nervous, but yet exciting at the yeah. same time to go into this world stage, right? Yeah, yeah, we're we're excited. Yeah, we're we're coordinating together with UFI to do our, our own parallel event, and and the topic is international or uh, intergenerational dialogue. So, something that as Relief Society sisters and as members yeah. of the church, we know all about with genealogy, and so it's 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 really exciting. Yeah, and you've it got is. a book that's being talked about with respect to this experience and this event and we'll we'll ask you more about that in the next time when you guys get back sure. in town and we're very excited for it again people that are interested can go to bigoceanwomen.com mm-hmm. and find them also on Facebook thank you again for coming in and talking about it thank you so much 
Thank you for listening to this episode of Articles of Faith with your host, Nick Galetti. This has been a production of Fair Mormon. This and other podcasts are available at fairmormon.org. The opinions expressed in this podcast are not necessarily the views of Fair Mormon or The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Please subscribe to our show in iTunes. Questions or comments can be sent to podcast at fairmormon.org. Tune in each Monday for another episode of Articles of Faith. Thank you for listening.